Okay, some of you, uh, as, as, I, as related to some of you, I promised to do something a little bit different today, and it's something I really am uncomfortable doing. I, don't, I do not like doing this. And that's I'm going to talk a little bit about myself, about my personal background, some of my, some of my personal experiences. And the reason I'm doing this is I have a feeling that um, some of the things I do are being misunderstood, and it helps to understand people if you know a little more about them. All right? Does that sound simple enough? So for those of you who do not know anything about me, I was not raised Catholic. Maybe that's obvious. I was not raised Catholic. My, my father was a Methodist. My mother was a Baptist. My grandmother was a Pentecostal. And so as I like to tell people, I grew up a Methodocostal because I grew up in all three of those traditions. You know, I grew up in the Methodist church, and I was always attending the Baptist church. In fact, I pastored a Bible church, which is kind of the same thing as a Baptist church for a while. And, of course, my grandmother was in the Pentecostal tradition, and I used to go play the guitar in the Pentecostal church, and it was always uh, it was great fun. So all, all those tr traditions are, are part of my background. And I, I think some people say that I'm really still just a Methodocostal and a Roman collar. And maybe that's true. I don't know. In my pursuit of life, very early on, I knew God had called me into the ministry. Um, God had always, has always given me a gift of prayer from, from when I was just a toddler. I mean, I don't know toddler, but I, from a very young age, I remember, I remember being very interested in prayer, writing prayer in verse, devoting my time to prayer, and to the reading of scriptures. I remember when that little book, Good News for Modern Man, came out about 1960, I think. And just devouring it, loving that, that, that New Testament and language that, uh, that was common to me and that I could understand. I went on to uh, do my undergraduate studies at Old Roberts University. Now, Old Roberts is a Methodist, but as you know, it's kind of a Pentecostal school. So I did my undergraduate studies there. But while I was there, I became interested in Catholic faith. I began reading the Church Fathers. And the reason why is because one of my Greek professors, as we were translating and, and studying the book of Romans, he, said, he told me, if you want to understand the writings of the apostles, you must read the writings of their students. So I was new to me. I didn't know the apostles had students. I never thought about it. So I began reading some of those great saints who are actually even mentioned in the Bible, like Clement and Hermas. And then, of course, there's the epistle of Barnabas, there's the, uh, the, the Didache, the teaching of the Twelve Apostles. There are the letters of Ignatius, who Eusebius tells us was the child that Jesus set on his lap and lesson, said, unless you come to, to, to God as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I began reading these and discovered historic faith. I discovered that the Catholic faith came from the apostles through the ages and down to us. I went and lived in a Carmelite monastery for a couple of years while I was doing my graduate studies at the University of Dallas, was not fully ready to make that leap into Catholicism, so I became an Anglican, um, eventually becoming a charismatic Episcopal priest, and then in 2000 became Catholic, joined the Catholic Church. I actually thought that I'd be able to come a, become a Catholic priest in just a couple of years. Well, it took 18 years, much longer than I expected, and it was a long and arduous journey to become Catholic. And there are many times I was ready to quit, but God would not 
let me quit. And so I made God some promises. First, I promised that I would never quit trying. I don't care how many bishops turn me down, I would keep trying to become a priest. I would keep applying, keep working at fulfilling the call God had for me to be a Catholic priest. And the second thing I promised Jesus was that I would not hold anything back. Whatever Jesus told me, whatever he told me to share with the people, I would do that. I would not hold anything back. I had, in my 18 years as a Catholic layperson, I'd seen a lot of priests who seemed to have lost their fire. And I did not want to be one of those. I saw priests who were afraid of their congregations, and I did not want to be one of those. So I promised Jesus I would not hold anything back. Now, one of the things I want to talk about is throughout this, all this, this, when all this is going on, I had an experience in prayer. And for a moment, really probably just for a few seconds, I found myself in the throne room of God. And I share this very, very hesitant. I do not like talking about my own spiritual experiences as if they mean anything to anyone but me. It was just my experience. But I found myself in the throne room of God for a few seconds, and it was truly a life-changing experience for me. One of the things that I came out away from that experience was just how dreadfully tied to this world I am. But also as I'm in the throne room, and it's really hard for me to even call it a room, it was just an expanse. And God was in the center, and it was as if like a coliseum, you know, the, the rows and rows would, would come up. And heaven is not like here, okay? We live in a three-dimensional world. Heaven is not like that at all. It, well, one of the first things I noticed that if, if I turned, whichever direction I turned, I was still looking at the center. I could look up, I could look down, I could turn all the way around. God was still before me and at the center of all things. And what we typically hear referred to as heavenly music, I have a hard time describing it as music. It was more like like pure energy. The only thing I can compare it to, and this is going to probably not relate to very many of you, I remember when I was a naval officer and being on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier when you've got 20 or so jets ramping up their engines to, to take off of an, of an aircraft carrier, and the sound vibration from those jet engines would literally pass through my body, and I could feel my bones shaking. It was a very eerie and odd experience, and it was kind of like that, that the energy that emanated from God in the center of this expanse would pass through all who were there and then would return back to him. We're at the Feast of the Transfiguration, and Peter, James, and John see Jesus become light, 
realizing that God is this divine energy that was all, he was always light, but they didn't see him that way, except in this moment. And God is always at the center of all things, but we don't see him that way. But nonetheless, there in this throne room, I, I noticed that however I looked, I can't look away from God. He is always at the center, and his energy is constantly flowing into me and then out through me back to himself. This profound experience has always changed me. Now, one of the ways it changes me is that I cannot say Mass without being back there. You notice that sometimes I, I close my eyes when I say Mass, and as soon as I close my eyes, I, I revisit this vision, this, this seeing God on his throne in the center of all things with his energy coming out from him passing through all who gather and then back into him. Sometimes, I know some people have, 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 I think have said that my Mass is uh, beyond enthusiastic. Some people have accused me of being dramatic in my, overly dramatic in my Mass. That's not my intent at all. I cannot help but be this enthusiastic when I, am, when I am envisioning myself in this throne room, looking at the, the, the majesty of God, the glory of God that is moving in and through and back. And you'll notice I smile a lot. I think partially that's because it took me 18 years to become a priest, and so I can't help but be happy that I finally made it. But also there's, there's a joy that comes from inside of realizing that God's presence is so real and tangible. And I'll be honest with you, and I don't, I don't think I've said this to anybody in many, many years. Um, when I say the Mass and I, and, I, and I place my hands over the elements to be consecrated, I feel that energy. I feel like electricity flow through my body and out through my hands. I, I don't know of any other priest that does it. Maybe all priests do it and no one just ever is afraid to talk about it. I don't know. But I feel that. God is very real. And one of the things, you know, we're going through this little turmoil right now because one of the problems we have in church, in the spiritual life in general, is being able to talk about, to express things that are inexpressible. I mean, I, I, use these, these, I use these terms. I talk about energy. I talk about the vibrations that shake my bones on an aircraft carrier. And they're just examples. They don't even come close to share what the reality really is. We read in the book of Revelation and we see the way that... that John describes Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth and his hair is white as wool and his skin is glowing and because he's trying to express something that's inexpressible. He has had a vision of what the next world is like and yet and we can't express it in this world because we are stuck in a three-dimensional world where we see energy as solid objects and you step into that next world. 
I don't know how many dimensions there are in heaven. Maybe it's an infinite number of dimensions. Maybe the string theorists are right and it's 11 dimensions. I don't know. But it is so different. We cannot describe it. Those who have touched that, who have seen it. And like I say, I only touched it for maybe three or four seconds. It was so brief. But as we discuss things about whether I should say mass facing the tabernacle or say fast facing the people. It never occurs to me that that's even a question because I know whichever way I turn, God's at the center of all things. But I know that we, in our attempt to express that which is inexpressible, we turn to symbols. And sometimes a symbol has different meaning for different people. And some people have said, well, if I say, if I stand facing the people, well, then I've turned my back on God because God is in the tabernacle. And I keep thinking, no, that's impossible. I cannot turn my back on God. And some who say, if I, I face the, if I face the tabernacle, my back to the people, then they say, oh, this is, this is like pre-Vatican II. You want to, uh, I mean, I've even had, I've had people say terrible things and I've got to quit quoting them because every time I quote what somebody has told me about the way they've reacted to a traditional mass that, um, that you think I'm giving some credence to what they've said, which I'm not, but it's just people misunderstand. They react to symbols differently because they all come from different experiences, different backgrounds. And I realize that my experience and background is probably different from most people. That's why I wear a funny collar and wear a, a purple robe to church because my experience is different. My training, my background, and and the, and the experiences God has given me in, in, in prayer are different. And I'm trying to find ways to express them to all of you. And sometimes I miss. And I it very quickly admit that. Because if you come to me from a, a, a starkly different background, I may say and do things that, that you misinterpret, misunderstand, because you're understanding them from your own experience. But I wanted to pause today just to share these things with you to let you know that so you at least understand my own background and my own experience so that you would better understand what I'm trying to communicate as I, um, as I say the Mass and as I share these things with you. Now, for those of us who are concerned about whether I'm facing the tabernacle or whether I'm facing the people of God, um, we're going to do we're, this, this today. We're going. I'm going to face the people of God again. We're going to meet on Saturday evening. Those of you who are, are visitors are welcome to come. We'll have a free dinner uh, next Saturday evening. We're going to have a dinner, and afterwards we're going to talk about um, our walk of faith together and, and make some decisions about what we do next. But um, I want you guys to know that there is no way I ever want to lead anyone astray that I want to lead us all to Christ. And if you want to know what's important to me, again, coming from a Methabapticostal background, what's most important to me are the lost souls who need to know Jesus. And I do some of the things I do to try to communicate to them, to those lost souls who are in desperate need of a Savior. The evangelistic outreach of the church is to me the most important part of my calling. And it's a part of the calling that the Catholic Church, by and large, has missed 
All we have to do is see the, the way church attendance and, and church membership are diminishing. Those that call themselves millennials, I think that's those under 35. I think maybe we have a few of those here. I read just last week, it's the first generation in which 51%, the majority of that generation, choose no affiliation with any religious faith at all. We've missed, as the church, we have missed our ability to communicate to that generation. And I desire to learn how. I desire to know how. Because I love this church. And I love the future of this church. The world needs the Catholic faith to anchor it from all the storms that trouble this world. And I will miss sometimes and I'm, have, I want you to know that I am always open for someone to come and say, tell me, you've missed it. <laughs> because I take no pride in what I do. I know that there is nothing in me that does not come from God and does not return to God. But I will do my best, and I need your help to guide me.